Again, my name is Scott Irwin, and I'm the college minister here at Sunnybrook, and I get to partner with Drew Moss and the other staff at the, at the table and uh, in, in ministering to college students. So if you are a college student here today, um, we're glad that you're here. This is a great church, and we know that a lot of you are visiting different churches, and we think that's cool. We think you should do that. We think you should find a home church. Um, we would love to tell you more about uh, the table and our ministry in Sunnybrook. And so after this service, in the lobby, there'll be some students with signs, and there'll be a, there's a little place over there in the corner of the lobby. You can find out more about the table, and, and uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on. We'd love for you to come check us out. Um, I'm also supposed to read scripture. So, it's reminding myself, uh, we are not only here to gather together uh, to sing and worship our God, but we want to hear from him. We believe that his word speaks life. Um, that God speaks to us today by his spirit, through his word, and as we gather together as his people. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to read along, starting at verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 9. It is on the screen if you want to read it there as well. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace, to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay another foundation than what has been laid down. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that has been built survives, he will receive reward. a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And also, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. So then, just, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, what Scott did not tell you, um, some good news. College ministry has been growing, right? Both not just people who are there, but also people who are giving their life to the Lord. One of their main strategies for growth is just hire every decent college student. And so they went from like 70-ish people a year ago to 100 and something people, and their staff meetings for college is about 30. So you just figure out the math on that. Um, if you uh, love Jesus and you're in college, I think you can be on staff with the table. I'm not even making fun of that. It's a great place to be. If you have time, come intern with the table. Great ministry, great ministry. Thankful for Scott and Drew and that whole team and what they do. Um, can I ask you a question? What does it take to build something that lasts? Well, what does it take to build something that lasts long after we're gone? We're gone? I asked a builder who was there during first service uh, his answer to this question. And he said, money. Money is what it takes to build something that lasts. In a world like today, post-COVID, you need more and more of it because 
I don't know if you've heard, but everything is on a shortage. Apparently, COVID destroyed wood. There's no more wood. So COVID got the wood, it got the metal, it got the pool chemicals. Um, if pool, if COVID takes away Chick-fil-A, I'm going to be real frustrated. But um, COVID seems to have made everything more expensive, harder to get, and uh, probably some truth to that, but that's kind of not the point. What does it take to build something that lasts? Um, I want to introduce you to one of the most, the best architects probably to have ever lived. Um, this architect designed thousands of buildings, thousands of structures, schools. Uh, he designed churches, homes, places of business, many, most of which, all of which are still standing today. Great designer, great architect. Uh, one of the buildings that he designed actually was my childhood home. Uh, that's 1008 Blue Ridge Drive, a nice house. Uh, I hope it still has really shaggy blue carpet. Um, it has some rolling doors in there where I watched my first DVD. Back in the day, we watched The Hunt for the Red October on DVD, which was pretty amazing, after we purchased that from Circuit City. So, Paul will remember Circuit City. Well, um, yeah, a lot of memories of that house. I remember my parents telling me, I don't have a memory of this, but many days they would have people come to me, come with me to the door and say, your child was on hole one of the golf course deciding he wanted to play golf as like a five-year-old. And uh, I just, you know, I had an adventurous spirit. And as a person who has a Brooks who's five, uh, three years old, I now understand the frustrations that having a child with an adventurous spirit can create. Uh, but I grew up there, caused a lot of trouble there. It was a great place for me. Probably not a structure you're very familiar with. Uh, but a structure you may be familiar with is that one. Anybody recognize that? Just show of hands. Anybody? Yeah, Kelsey, what is that? It is the women's clinic at Stillwater in Stillwater. Uh, my dad worked there for a lot of years. Actually, my grandpa, the greatest architect of all time, and don't tell me otherwise, the guy you just met, Derry Ebert, he designed that building. He designed my house. And something that's cool about both of those structures is my grandpa didn't just design them, but my uncle got to help build them. Pretty cool that you'd get to work with your dad or with your son on a project from beginning to end. That's, that's a pretty cool thing, pretty special places in my life. There was a good designer, a good builder. The buildings are here far longer than my grandpa who passed away in 2011 will be here far longer than my uncle or I will be. Well-designed buildings with a solid architect. Here's a not-so-well-designed building. Uh, you may remember back in June, this condo in Florida that collapsed, um, taking the lives of 98 people from ages 1 to 92 around 1.30 a.m., most of them probably in their sleep, some of whom hopefully never knew what happened, some of whom I'm sure were terrified, terrified as the place they thought was supposed to be safe and secure crumbled around them. Uh, as they're trying to dig and find out like why this happened, the reality is it's probably a host of reasons, but they've, it's become pretty clear that the original design in 1981 was flawed. And the engineers are saying, from day one, this thing was doomed. But because nobody decided to own up to the mistake, whether it's the designer or the builder or the workers, because no one was willing to own up to it and to redirect course, this thing took the lives of 98 people. Um, travel a bit north now to the land of the Canadians and Jim Johnson, and you'll see history filled with pictures of this structure. This is the Quebec City Bridge, 
or what was supposed to be the Quebec City Bridge. In 1903, the city of Quebec decided to commission the Phoenix Bridge Company to build a structure so they didn't have to take ferries across the river anymore. Uh, they could actually just drive it across with vehicles or trains. It would expedite a lot of things and would be a great benefit to the community. And so they hired the Phoenix Bridge Company, and then they hired this builder named Theodore Cooper. And uh, as things were going on, about two years after the initial desire um, came, Theodore Cooper got the design plans, and he recognized pretty early on that there was a flaw in them, that they actually miscalculated something. But this middle area of the bridge that was going to be 1,800 feet wide, it was going to be 150 feet in the air, it had to be wide enough to hold two trains and vehicles going across it. Um, this, this part of the bridge, this span, was about 8 million pounds too heavy. Not a small miscalculation, it seems. Eight million pounds off. And met some engineers today of uh, various sorts. I don't know a lot about it, but that seems like it could be a problem. In 1907, over 70 people died. 70 people died because not only did Theodore Cooper look over this flaw, but as they were building, they started to recognize, hey, this is shifting more than it should be at this point. Hey, this bolt broke by the time I put it in and then went to lunch and came back. That doesn't seem like it's supposed to happen. But instead of redirecting course, fixing what they had made mistakes doing, they went forward and it cost over 70 people their lives. And what's amazing about this story is it didn't just happen once, but it happened again nine years later. That top left picture is not the same event. That is two different events, the same bridge that went bad twice. I don't know if I'm going to drive on a bridge in Quebec anytime soon. Um, it didn't go well. Okay, whether it's the design, whether it's the architect, the builder, the materials, the construction, probably a host of many of those, it didn't go well for them. Here's another one you might remember. Back in 2005, the great stucco debacle of Florida. Anybody remember uh, the stucco problem of Florida? A billion dollar mistake. Okay, stucco was a material that they had started using uh, to finish some of the, uh, a lot of buildings, homes, apartments down in Florida. Uh, but they came to find out soon that if you didn't do it the right way, if you didn't let the cement cure, if you didn't put it on the appropriate thickness, moisture would get through there. I don't know if you know this, but when moisture gets on things like wood over a long period of time, the strength of that structure begins to fail. So not only do you have some ugly buildings that need fixing, but you started to see things collapsing and people dying. It was a problem worth millions and billions of dollars. They eventually changed the codes. They eventually figured out how to use the material better and construction improved, but no small thing, uh, this great Florida debacle of stucco in 2005, 2008. So what does it take to build something that lasts? And I think it takes a few things. It takes a good architect a good design, it takes good builders, good materials, and good construction. All of those things in concert together build you something that lasts. We've had all versions of that as we've gone through this process with a children's building, but we're not just here to talk about a building. We're here to talk about the building, God's building, the church. And I don't know what keeps you awake at night, but at times, it's the church for me. At times, it's the thought of what am I going to leave behind after I 
die. When you're an architect, it's pretty easy to point to things like, hey, I designed this building and it's going to last far longer than I am. But when you're a pastor, what do you point to? And when you're a member of a church who has centered your life on Jesus, and you know that there's certain things in this world and in this life that maybe are good, but they aren't going to last. They're temporary. They're fruitless. They're not eternal things. What do you point to? We all know that our money isn't going to go with us when we die. We all know our net worth doesn't matter much when you take your final breath. We probably all in our hearts recognize that pursuing followers and fame and success by the world's standards leaves you fairly empty as you get to it and as you see what happens to that person over time. We're talking about something that's far greater than me, that's far greater than my childhood home. We're talking about the church. What will it take, Sunnybrook? for us to build something that lasts far after we are gone. I believe the first thing that we need is to trust the architect and follow his designs. Trust the architect and follow his designs. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 says this. Read along with me. For God shows us the church in him. When did he choose us in him? He before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. Here's what God did, okay? God, this great architect, this great designer, didn't just have a plan for creation, but he had a plan knowing the end. With the end in his mind, he started out of the overflow of who he is, out of the overflow of his goodness, out of the overflow of his grace, of his love, he created all things. And he didn't just do that, but he knew he was going to save a people for himself that he would call the church. The church. He knew from the very beginning that he was not just designing, but he was going to establish the church through Jesus, out of his goodwill, despite what he knew would happen, our own failures, our own brokenness, our own sin, our own lack, he did something good for us and provided for us salvation through Jesus, and he adopted us as his son. He planned for us to be brought into the fold of his family, to be brought into this church, this building, through Jesus. That was his plan from the beginning. It wasn't plan B. Before the foundations, this was the plan. Verse 6, and it was to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Let's continue down just a couple verses. You ever ask the question, like, what's God's will? Here's the answer. God made known to us the mystery of his will. He didn't keep it secret. He's not distant. He actually said, I am going to reveal part of who I am to you and part of what my plan is to you so that you know who you are and what I expect of you and how we can be made right again. And here's my, here's my plan. Here's my will. And it's according to his good pleasure, once again, that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ both things in heaven and things on earth in him. It's been God's plan from the beginning to bring order out of the chaos, to bring wholeness from what was broken, to bring all things into unity through Jesus. God wanted things to be good. He wanted them to be very good. He wanted them to be perfect and complete and whole. That's been his plan from all along. 
He knew what he was doing from the very beginning because he is a good architect. He's the good architect, and he's a perfect builder. Here's what he says in verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Okay, you used to be far off from God. You used to be dead in your sins. You used to be fighting against each other, but that's no longer the case because of the grace I've given you in Christ. You are now fellow citizens with the saints, the holy ones, all those who have put their faith in Jesus. You are members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the cornerstone. So here's what God did. Out of the overflow of his goodness and his grace, he made all things. And he didn't just make all things and step back, but he made all things and had a plan for it. He knew, and he had a plan, and he initiated that plan. And one of the things that he knew he was going to do was to have Jesus, the Son of God, put on flesh and dwell among us. To die a perfect death so that we no longer had to face the penalty for our sins, but we could be forgiven through Jesus' work on the cross. His blood would be spilled and would make us clean, and we would no longer be dead and have no hope past this life, but that we would have hope in him, through him. And what the Bible says happened is that God, with his great plan, through his great architecture, his great building, he laid the cornerstone. This initial part of the foundation. He laid down Jesus to be the thing from which the rest of the foundation would be built and the rest of the structure would be built. And his plan was, Jesus, we see this in the Gospels and through the rest of the New Testament, is to choose these apostles. Apostles means sent ones. And their job was to continue the message of Jesus, to take this cornerstone, which is going to be a stumbling block for Jews and Romans and your neighbors and your siblings and your classmates. And he was going, and they were supposed to proclaim this good news, that you can have this free gift of God's grace if you put your faith in, follow Jesus. And they continued. They laid this foundation. They laid it in Jerusalem, in Samaria, Judea, to the ends of the earth. And they've done a good job because it reached all the way to Stillwater, Oklahoma in the year 2021. And now it's the, church, uh, it's the job of the church to continue to build on it because that's been God's plan in the beginning, from the beginning. You ever heard somebody say, like, the church, they're worried that the church is dying? You ever heard this? You've read articles like the church is dying, the church is in decline. Uh, I read a lot of those kind of articles. Maybe you don't come across them as much. Uh, but they, they're trying to sound an alarm, and I think for good reason. And the number of people that are claiming no religious affiliation in America is rising rapidly. In 1990, it was about 8% of people had no religious affiliation. And a couple years ago, it was up to 20%. Um, in that same time period, the people who profess Christianity has decreased at least 12%. And so when you look around and you, then you throw in this reality that in 2019, more churches closed than opened, man, there's, there's a lot of smoke there. I wonder if this is the beginning of the end for the church. The reality is, I, that may be true, in a sense, like the reality is there are 4,000 churches that closed their doors in 2019 that are no longer meeting as a congregation. Only 3,700 opened doors that same year. But I don't know if you know this, but as you look around, it's becoming less and less popular to be a follower of Jesus. It's become less and less follower to actually believe this is true. 
to actually say that when my opinions go against this, I should go with this. And it's becoming less and less advantageous for us to say, I believe and trust the Bible more than I believe the court of public opinion, more than I believe what people are telling me at the places that I work or the places that I study or the places that I have fun or the social media accounts that I'm on. Probably what's happening is the church isn't dying as much as it's being clarified. With it becoming less and less popular for us to be followers of Jesus, less and less people are just going to say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, because there's no value to them in that. It actually hurts their social status. It actually hurts their potential if they're seen as those bigoted, ignorant Christians who believe the Bible. So there's some clarity happening. There's more and more people who are coming here because they have an actual attachment to Jesus not just an attachment to something that would help them in their job or their social place. Probably actually what's happening too is uh, there's a shift happening in the church. Uh, there's always been shifts happening in the church where the center of the church is. It started in Jerusalem, okay? It started right in the nation of Israel where Jesus lived and he uh, died and he rose again and he started the ministry that we continue today. It started there, like that was the center and then of course, it would make sense that that began to shift. It shifted west and it shifted a bit south. And for a long time, the average Christian, your typical Christian, could probably be labeled as a European-American man. And that's no longer the case. Actually, your typical average Christian is now a Latin or African woman. Because there may be less and less people going to church in America because it's less and less popular to follow Jesus here. But that is not true in Africa. It's not true in Latin America. That's not true in China. More and more people are hearing the gospel and responding in faith. And it's growing. It's expanding. It may seem like something's happening, like the church is dying, but that's actually not true. It's being clarified, and maybe the greatest growth is shifting to a different place because of the prerogative and the plan of God, and that is okay. Because I don't believe the church is dying. I don't believe the church can be destroyed because I believe actually that God designed the church and he didn't just design the church, but he established the church. And he didn't just establish the church, but he loves the church. And he doesn't just love the church, but he will sustain the church because he is faithful to the end. That's the God we serve. He had a plan from the beginning, and he initiated it. And he's so good, and he's so welcoming that he's actually welcomed us into this process. He's not only shared himself, but he's shared with us the labor as well. And so we believe that the church isn't dying, that I don't know what's going to happen in this sanctuary in 100 years. I really don't. Like, I am going to give my life to make sure that it's gospel proclamation, that it's the worship of Jesus, that it is reaching the lost for Christ. I will give my entire life to make sure that happens. But I don't know. A storm may come, wipe it away. It could be a, I don't know, a movie theater. It could be a school someday. What I know is that no matter what happens to this building, God's building, the church, will continue because God said it would. It has for 2,000 years. Why would we think anything else? He has been faithful in the past, he's faithful today, and he will be faithful to the end, to his eternal building, the church. Here's the other thing that we need. 
in order to build a church that lasts Sunnybrook. We need to test the builders, the materials, and the work. Look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says that you, the Corinthian church, and taking the principle a bit farther to its more general truth, you, Christians, followers of Jesus, you are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I, Paul, have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. Okay, here's this principle that we see from beginning to end. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God said that he made humanity in his image. And he gave humanity a unique place in creation, but also a unique role in creation. We, are, we don't just relate to God in a unique way, but we relate to the rest of creation in a unique way. That we actually act as like these rulers, these stewards, these managers who have dominion over the rest of the creation, have a different value than the rest of creation. He continues that in Ephesians 2, verse 10. You are God's workmanship, you faithful people who've been saved through Christ. And you are now able to do the work that you've been created to do because of the work of Christ and the reception of the Holy Spirit. It's what he says right here as well. That he's bringing us in to do the work. Some people are given different jobs based on God's prerogative and the Spirit's work. Some people will stand and they will proclaim the word from the stage. Some people will lead small groups. Some people will move to Africa to help spread the gospel there. Some people will move for a year to Birmingham, England to do gospel proclamation. Some people will be parachurch ministers in Stillwater, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State University to do the work of ministry. Some people will be faithful teachers and nurses and workers who are faithful in the context they've been given and the families that have been given them, the communities that have been given them to do the work of ministry in whatever context you are given. That has been God's plan from the beginning. He's not a God who winds up the wheel and stands back to watch how it plays out. He's not a God who micromanages everything, but actually he brings us in. Not that he needs any one of us, but he's called and given the opportunity for every one of us to be partners with him in this. To be, think of this phrase, co-workers with God. What a strange thing to be co-workers of God is if he needs us, but he chose us. He designed for us to do this work. The apostles like Paul laid the foundation of the gospel, of the truth of Jesus, from which all the rest of our work will be built on. And we need, look at this, each one is to be careful how he builds on it. Okay, I don't know if you know this, but there are churches out there who proclaim a different gospel. There are churches out there who've closed their doors. There are churches out there who are unhealthy. There are churches over there, out there who have decided Jesus isn't the only way to have peace with the Father. There are churches out there who are doing work that God is saying, that is not the work I've given you to do. Look at verse 11. No one can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid down. That foundation, that true foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. Why? Because the proof is in the pudding. Okay, the end result proves whether the design was good, whether there was execution done well of that design. The proof is in the pudding. The work that we do will become obvious. And sometimes in this life, that's true. 
Unhealthy leadership will eventually lead to an unhealthy church. Most likely, an unhealthy church will lead to a dead church, either dead spiritually or dead because they've closed the doors. That is just true. But you know as well as I do, there are religions out there, places of worship out there, there are ideologies out there that seem to be thriving. And just because they seem like they're going well doesn't mean that God says they are. Listen, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved as through fire. Listen, we like the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. Okay, Some of us see the hay and the straw around us and we think, that's a good thing to build a house out of. I'm going to use sticks and hay and see if I can build my house out of that. Okay, I'm going to pursue the things that the world finds valuable, whether that be fame and success, whether that be a high net worth, whether that be just insulating myself and not caring about what else is going on around me. Um, I don't know. Proclaiming a different God. There are a lot of things that we do that just are temporary, that will have zero value when you die. There are a lot of things we spend time on, things that if we're honest, that we love, that God knows that you're more passionate about than him and the building of his church. And those things will be revealed in the end when he comes and he judges the living and the dead, when he comes and he evaluates the work of those who will be saved. Listen, Verse 15 is very clear. Uh, some work is going to be burned up. Like the things that we do in our life, God will say, hey, I evaluated this thing in your life, this desire in your heart, this thing, these things you've said, and these will be burnt up because they were temporary. They were not eternal things. They, were, they honored you. They didn't honor me. They brought you fame. They didn't bring me fame. They weren't eternal things. That doesn't mean necessarily that you are going to be saved by these things. No, he says that work that we do will be evaluated and you will suffer loss, but you yourself will be saved because we know you are not saved by the things that you do. You are saved by grace through faith. But then when you receive this grace from God, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're actually freed up to no longer live as you used to. Live as a slave to death. Live as a slave to sin. Live as if the world revolved around you. Live as if you could just do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. Actually, because of the work of God through the Spirit, you're free to actually do the work you were made to do. You're free to do eternal work, God-honoring work. And God seems to say here through Paul that our work for those who are saved, for those who have put their faith in Jesus, will be evaluated. Some of it will be revealed as straw. It'll be burnt up. But some of it will be good structure on a solid foundation, something that lasts, something that's permanent, something that we will be rewarded by. And Jesus has no problem. We did a podcast on this a while back on the Consider This page, where we talked about there are rewards in heaven. Like, God is going to evaluate the lives that we led, and he will say, like, this is good work. This honored me. This is faithful work. This is biblical stuff. And I want to reward you for that. Well done. But this over here, this is, nah, this is out. Get that, get that out of here. Okay? 
I don't know how you, like, how that hits you. Some of you may be really, like, confused or a little shocked. For me, it's very challenging. For me, I wrestle with this a lot. And certain books and certain people have helped me through this. I no longer question my salvation. I do sometimes question my heart. I question my work. Will it last? Or is this something that's fleeting like a vapor? Like the writer of Ecclesiastes says, um, you do know that life in many ways is meaningless and has little to no value, so just do it well and enjoy it. I want to know that the work I do with you matters. I want to know that the work I do alongside of you matters and lasts. It honors God. It's biblical. It's faithful. It's eternal stuff because if it's not, what's the point? What is the point? So brothers and sisters, we are people who look at ourselves because we're in community, because we're family, we look at each other, we look at the work we're doing, the materials we're using, and we evaluate that and we test that. And there's something that Paul has to clarify here. Look at chapter 4. He says this, a person should think of us in this way. We are servants of Christ, managers of the mysteries of God. In many ways, that's what we are. We're servants. Even those who have been deemed leaders of the church are servants. We are here to serve because Jesus himself didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we are servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. What's the mystery of God? Oh, it's Jesus bringing all things together through Jesus. We're managers of that. In this regard, it's required that managers be found faithful. That you do know that we will be tested. Like, the Bible seems to say just because you're a Christian doesn't mean life's going to go well for you. Sometimes there will be hard things that come, persecution that comes, either because of your faith or just difficulty that happens in a broken world. Your faith will be tested and proven true or proven in attachment to something other than Jesus himself. But we need to be managers who are found faithful. It's of little importance to Paul that he should be judged by the Corinthians or any human court. Now that seems a little contrary. I just told you that one of the things we need in order to build a lasting church at Sunnybrook is we have to evaluate the builders. Okay, we have to evaluate ourselves. We have to evaluate the leaders. But then Paul seems to say, I, sh I don't think I need to be judged by you or any human court. Okay? What's the difference? Let's keep reading. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. Verse 5, so don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will, bring both, uh, will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then praise will come to each one from God. Now listen to this, okay? Hear that in the background. Paul at some level is saying, you need to evaluate the work you're doing, but don't be too quick to prematurely judge the workers. And then listen to this from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He's talking about what kind of elders you should choose, what kind of staff you should hire at Sunnybrook, what kind of small group leaders you should have, what kind of Bible study leaders you should have, what kind of workers in your Elevate and Treehouse you should have. Should have people who look like Jesus and teach things that Jesus would agree with. They must be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons, as servants, as shepherds. Okay? 
What Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 4 is that the Corinthians were saying, hey, Paul, you're not as good of a speaker as this other guy, and you don't speak in tongues like some of us, so you're probably not a spiritual person. And so we're going to value this leadership and not your leadership. And Paul loses it a bit on him, okay? And he, what he's trying to say is, like, if you're going to call me not spiritual, you know what makes you spiritual? It's not these things you're doing. It's actually the Holy Spirit in you. If you're going to tell me I'm not spiritual, that's you telling me I don't have the Spirit. That's you telling me I am, that you are the judge over me, and that is not true. God judges. In the end, it will all be proven true. All those who are his, it will be made clear because they have the guarantee, the stamp, the Holy Spirit because of their faith in him. That's what he's trying to say to the Corinthians. You don't get to judge me. That's God's job. At the same time, he's saying, you do need to test and you need to evaluate yourself. You need to evaluate the leaders of the church, those who serve in the church. You need to evaluate the work that you're doing in your life and in the church, whether it's temporary or whether it's going to last. We, in order to build a church that will last far longer than we will, have got to trust the architect, his design, and we have got to wisely wisely evaluate ourselves, our leaders, and our work. Um, There's a book that was written a while back that almost made fun of this idea that we are to build our life on things that last. That it's silly to think that things like the doctrine of the church is something that you should build your life on. Um, This author seemed to say that if you build your life and your faith based on things like bricks, you're probably going to walk away from the faith if something that you thought was important isn't important. So you should really make your life built on like springs, like on a trampoline, things that can stretch and mold and shape and move. Because if you lose one of those springs, you'll still be able to bounce. And he, I mean, he thought he was so cool with this illustration, trying to shatter this idea that we need to base our lives on looking like Jesus and speaking like Jesus, that have doctrine that is biblical and a life that is Christ-like. I don't know if you're surprised to hear he is no longer a Christian. That pastor, that teacher, no longer believes that this Bible is true or has somehow authority over his life or others' lives. Yeah, he thinks it's good. He thinks it's awesome in some ways, but in a very Oprah-like way. A very, like, you find your own truth. This is a really good source of truth. Jesus is a pretty cool guy, but Jesus is not the only way to have peace with the Father. Jesus isn't the only name through which all people must bow and be saved. I don't know if it surprises you to hear that when you start taking away things like the truth of the gospel the cornerstone that is Christ. When we start changing things like you have to believe that this Bible is actually true and that when your opinion or public opinion butts up against it, you go with this, it shouldn't surprise us that that doesn't lead to a thing that we want, that God seems to desire for you, that God will reward in the end. Church, we need to be a people who builds our life on things that are sure, truths that God has revealed about himself, truths that we are made in his image and have been given a good work and that we have been given the spirit to actually do that work. Okay, the Bible is like our guardrail. Okay, think of like fences going along. Okay, and and there's a lot of flexibility of where to walk within that. 
okay? The Bible are like these fences that we walk within, these guides for us. The Spirit helps us understand these truths about who God is and his expectations for us, his church. And the Holy Spirit comes and helps us discern what that means for our context. Because I don't know if you know this, but like a welcome, a song, uh, a text connect here, a sermon, three songs, communion, and see you later. Like church has been run different than those seven steps through the course of history. I don't know if you know this, but there are churches, real churches, who don't have buildings that meet under trees. I don't know if you know this, but there are churches who don't follow the church calendar. And there are churches who do, and things haven't gone well. There are churches who don't have a kids' ministry. There are churches who, they're not growing because they're in a rural community that isn't growing, and they're still healthy churches. There are churches that have a lot of people and more people coming in the door that aren't faithful, good churches. Okay? The Bible is God's revealed design for not us, but for the church. It keeps us on track. It helps us discern what is true, what is not true. It helps us submit to God, to his word, so that we know the work we are doing is going to last. And the Spirit helps us and helps us discern if we're supposed to be like Paul and go to new people groups who have not heard the gospel or who have not received the word of God and give those things to them, or if we're supposed to be a minister in our hometown, or if we're just supposed to be um, a teacher. If we're supposed to stay home and raise our kids well in the Lord, the Spirit helps us discern that. And actually, the thing that's, not, that's needed, not just the Scriptures, not just the Spirit, but it's actually humility. The humility to be able to evaluate our life and say, what I have said, what I have done is not worthwhile. The humility to say that this way of doing ministry is one of the ways to do ministry. But so long as we're proclaiming the gospel and the truth of God and his word, that can look different ways because ministry in Stillwater, Oklahoma at Sunnybrook Christian Church looks different than Mustard Seed Church in Japan. The core things are the same. The things we build on, the foundation we're on of Christ and him being the only way we have peace with God is the same. The belief that God's word is true and guides us is the same. But what that looks like in in particulars may look different. And we've got to have humility about that. Because when we start being arrogant about preferences like style of worship or what's acceptable to wear on the stage or not, or um, preferences of who your favorite leader is based on worldly standards, like things just go sideways and they don't create health. Things that last. We need to build our life on things that matter. Brothers and sisters, with the right architect, the right design, the right builders, the right materials, we can help build something, a church that lasts forever. And God wants you to be part of that work. Like he's giving, given us everything we need to be part of that work. He wants to draw you in to help you discern according to God's word and the power of the spirit in a humble attitude what that work that he's leading you to do is. And so in just a minute, the band's gonna come up and we're gonna have a time to reflect. And there'll be just a few phrases on the screen, a couple of questions that I really want you to think about. A lot of times we go through a service and it's just kind of thing after thing after thing after thing and you have no time to process. We want to give you a little bit of that time. Because I believe that there may be some in here who are not part of God's building that maybe the Spirit's working on you to be grafted in through faith. 
Maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus to follow him for the very first time. Some of you, maybe you need to give something up that's temporary in your life that maybe you've known for a long time, but it's had a hold on you, and you want to give it up. Maybe the Lord's just calling you to get engaged with the work. Maybe he's trying to tell you, like he's empowered you, he's given you his spirit, he's given you everything you need to do the work. It's time to get in the game, and he wants you to process what that might look like. I don't know. All I know is that I want to build something that lasts here with you. If you want to do that, man, we invite you to. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you so much for your work through Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the church. We thank you that you're faithful to your plans and to your promises. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.